Jude begins this book, this epistle, with a greeting, and he begins by identifying himself to let people know who he is. And that's what I want us to really look at this morning. He says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So who is Jude? He lets us know uh, just immediately. And I love his identification, his self-identification, his explanation as to who he is. So who any ever reads this letter, they'll know who is writing it. First, he gives his personal identity. He is Jude. Then he gives his spiritual identity. He is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And then he gives his social identity. He is the brother of James. Now, the, you know, James is the, there's another one that wrote the epistle of James and he was Jesus's half brother. And so even though Jude doesn't say it, he is the half brother of Jesus as well. And so uh, here he is. He doesn't identify as a brother or a half brother, though. He identifies as the bondservant of the Lord. And he's not the only one that does that. Nearly all the epistles, except for uh, those written by John, those who write them identify themselves as a bondservant. Now, the word that's used is doulos in Greek, and it means a servant or a slave. It's somebody that is subservient to someone else and who has just put it all on the line for them. It's what they want. That's what I do. Paul starts out, and uh, Sharon called this to my attention this past week, as uh, Paul uh, writes the way he feels about himself. We see him, first of all, right off the bat, in uh, the epistle to the Romans, his first epistle, he starts off, Paul, he gives his first name, gives it his name, identifies himself. And then he says, a bondservant, a doulos, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Then on in 1 Corinthians, we write it to the Corinthians, he changes a bit. First of all, he's an apostle. Then he says in First uh, Corinthians, for I am the least of the apostles. And then as we uh, go on down and we look in his next to the last epistle that he wrote, he's writing to Timothy. He's at the end of his life. He's, he's in prison in Rome waiting for his execution when he writes these words. It is a trustworthy statement desiring full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. 
I am the chief of sinners. He goes from being an apostle to being the least of the apostles to the chief of sinners. And all those things identify uh, Paul, don't they? And they identify most of us as well. Not all of us are apostles. We're not all sent by God on special tasks like the apostles were. But Jude gives us his uh, identity, who he is. And I think that the order that Jude gives his identity tells us a lot about him as well. His personal identity comes first. His spiritual identity comes second. And his social identity comes third. So many people, they put the social identity right there above everything else. But he is Jude. He identifies uh, uh, himself and he has no identity crisis. He knows who he is. And other people will know him by the name of Jude. But you know what? We all have a personal identity. That person that we really are. There never has been another and there never will be another Jude. He is one of a kind, just like you. You are one of a kind. You are the unique person that God created you to be. The person <coughs> that God had in mind, God created to be the brother of James, the half-brother of Jesus himself. The same with you. It is in God's grace and in his wisdom that you were born at the time that you were to the parents that you've had and uh, all the things that, that brought you to be at this point, at this time, and to be you, not who you wish you were, not who you hope to be. It's you that he loves. And some people just can't buy that. But it's you that is loved by him. He's not waiting to love you, even though you may be waiting to give your love to him because you might think that you need to stretch something out or cut something off or give something up or something like that before he'll love you. No, Christ died for us while we were even in our sins, while we were lovely and unlovable. He was loving us warts and all, and he loves you warts and all right now, today. Not tomorrow when you finally turn over that new leaf, but right now, even when you may be ashamed to even raise your head and look at him. You are so unique and so special that Jesus has a special name for you that nobody else in all creation knows. Did you know that? If you look in the book of Revelation, the second chapter, it says in the 17th verse, it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone and a new name 
written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. You're going to recognize your name when you see it. Mine's probably going to be doofus, you know. I mean, who knows, you know, but how does he see me? You know, I mean, well, I won't go any further than that, but you, he has the name that describes you that is you. And uh, sometimes whenever I am beginning counseling with a person, I ask them to tell me who they are. I just ask them to describe themselves in their own words. Who is Jane Doe? Tell me, Jane, who are you? Who is John Doe? John, just tell me, who are you? And uh, once I asked a lady that, and she told me about being a wife and a mother and a grandmother and how she was involved in the church and and uh, how she uh, did things with her friends. And she went through a whole bunch of other stuff. And then I said, OK, that's 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 all good stuff. But now then I want to know who you are. You've told me a lot about the roles that you're in. You've told me about how you're related to other people and how you relate to other people. But now what I would like for you to do is tell me who you are without relating it to any people around you in any shape, form or fashion. And so she smiled and she opened her mouth and then all of a sudden her face kind of went blank and she closed her mouth and then she opened her mouth again because she liked to talk and she opened her mouth again and nothing came out. And all of a sudden her face flushed, her mouth closed and she began to weep and she just cried because she realized she didn't know who she was anymore. Somewhere along the way, in trying to please so many other people and be all things for all people, she lost her own identity. And there are a lot of people that do that in different ways. And a lot of us, if we're honest, before we come to know the Lord, we wear masks all the time. I used to wear one mask with one bunch of friends and I'd wear another mask with the next bunch of friends and another mask, my professional mask at work and another mask on Sunday when I came to church and I had all these masks. But you know, underneath it all, there was a real me that was changing those masks. A real me that was trying to hide my real self from other people because I was afraid that if people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. And so I felt like I had to be different ways to different people. And praise God, when I met our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he cut through all of that and he just loved me right in my heart, the real me who was so messed up and ugly. 
And he let me know that he loved me right there. Just like he loves every one of us right there. The real us. Jude had come to know, yeah, he was Jesus's brother. And he had been one of those that had stood outside whenever Jesus began teaching and preaching, trying to get him to come out so they could drag him home because they thought he'd lost his mind. But you know what? He was also one of those who was gathered together and praying on the day of Pentecost. And his brothers became disciples of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he had sisters too. The brothers are named, the sisters aren't, but it does at least mention that he had sisters. So, but uh, the thing is, Jude had an identity. His first identity is, yeah, I'm Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. His spiritual identity. You know, we all have a spiritual identity just as we have a personal identity. You either belong to Jesus or you don't. You're either a saint or you're an ain't, like I've told you before. You're one of the two. And uh, uh, there is a, a compass within us that points one way or the other. You're either his or you're not. And uh, so the thing is, is, but you do have a spiritual identity. Uh, although worldly people would have you believe otherwise, our horizontal relationships are not our horizontal. Sorry about that. The other left, Joel, you know, our horizontal relationships aren't nearly as important as our vertical relationships. In eternal value, our relationships on earth are not nearly as important as our vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. And in addition to that, our horizontal relationships can never be all that they could be if our vertical relationship isn't the way that it should be. Now, none of us likes the term slave or servant, but we see Jude, Paul, and James all refer to themselves that way. And they identify themselves that way right out of the chute. To them, it's a glory. To them, it's a joy to be a bond servant. They would not want to be identified in any other way than being a servant of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the thing is, it's a way for them to say, we have given Jesus our undivided loyalty. You see, everyone is a slave of something. Either our sin, or our Savior. We're a slave to the one that we love the most. If Jesus is not our master, we see in the Bible, then sin is. Like Jude, have we laid our lives at his feet? Does he come before 
our spouse, our children, our money, our real estate, and everything else? Have we given him our all? And do we do that daily? Jesus has called us to die daily. That's die to self and live for him. Now, Jude lastly gives us his social identity. He is the brother of James. He does have a certain status in the community because, you see, James was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And Jude's his brother. Now, a lot of people really be, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a brother of Jesus and I'm a brother of, Jew, of, of James, you know. And they make a big deal out of their social standing. He gives his social standing or his social identity only because there are some people that wouldn't recognize him in any other way. But we all do have our social identity and it's given to us by God. And it's something in the place where we are is where he has us. And we shouldn't be ashamed of it no matter what it is, because God wants to use you in whatever position and place he has put you. Our social identity is basically who we're related to. Family, friends, position, titles, social standing, our credentials, our lack of credentials, our pedigree, or our lack thereof. Jude had a social identity, and he shared it because it would help people to know who was writing. But it didn't hold a candle to his spiritual identity. Jude knew who he was, and the most important thing was to be the Lord's. This morning I ask you, how about you? Now, I'm reading a novel right now, and uh, Sharon's getting tired of hearing about it, and she's going to have to even hear about it in church today. This is, I'm actually, I'm reading two novels. I'm in the 3,000th three, chapters of uh, one of the novels I'm reading, and in the other one, I'm in, in, I'm in the thousands as far as the chapters I'm reading now. And in the one that I'm in the thousands of chapters, uh, I've come across a couple of characters uh, one is an extremely wealthy, handsome, powerful young man named Henry Armstrong. And he's been a womanizer up until just recently. But now he has fallen head over heels in love with a young lady named Georgie. And he will do anything for Georgie, even though Georgie doesn't want to give him the time of day. And since he has fallen in love with Georgie, he has quit seeing any other women. He has quit doing a lot of stuff he used to do. He has been transformed into this guy that is just fixed in his love on Georgie. And so he uh, is pursuing Georgie and uh, he... Uh, he just, there's this one place that he stops and it dawns on him what has happened to him. And it's almost in unbelief that he, 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 he asks himself, well, just what has happened? Because all of a sudden 
His whole life revolves around Georgie. He says, I don't do a thing, but I don't think, would Georgie approve of this? What would Georgie think of me if I did this? And he realizes that he now wants to live a life that Georgie approves of all the time. And he's amazed that this has happened to him. But isn't that what happens to everyone that comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? All of a sudden, our love toward him overshadows everything else. And our great concern before we even think a thought is what would Jesus think of this? Would Jesus approve of this? And that's because we love him so much. In the saga of Henry and Georgie, Henry's tried to show her every way he can that he really loves her. And Georgie is finally getting it. And Georgie is coming around. And she feels that she loves him in return. And that's the way it is between us and Jesus as well. If you flip it around, Jesus loved us long before we even thought about loving him. He's pursued us. He tapped us on the shoulder. He he gave us gifts. I look back now and I see he blessed me when I was so far from him. Just giving me love gifts so I'd finally pay some attention to him. He's done the same for you. And either you have responded to that love and you're now in a glorious and wonderful relationship with him. Or he's still calling to you and still loving you and wanting you to return his love. The Lord has done all that he can to show us that he loves us. The real us, even with all our imperfections. This is what we remember today when we come to the Lord's table is our love relationship with God. And we get to renew it, don't we? Because we remember how he has sacrificed for us because he loves us. And we get to renew declaring our love for him. And there's one place where we say in the prayer, And here we offer ourselves, our souls, and our bodies to be a living sacrifice. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.